The following program is a specialty program. Unless otherwise identified, the participants on the program are not employees of Chorus Entertainment. Opinions expressed may not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And we have a very special guest joining us again on tonight's show. Uh, last time we spoke to him was at the very beginning of season four. He had a different special then, and uh, the world in general was a little bit different. So we're going to find out what his brand new special is all about and what just life and comedy is like right now during all of this. Welcome to Inside Jokes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Nobody wants to be called a tourist. Tourist sounds like something you'd accuse someone of being. Not only are you sexist and racist, you're a tourist. You're listening to Inside Jokes right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Brought to you, of course, by our good friends at Hakeem Optical. Even if you're sitting in the back row, it's probably fine. We have Jim Gaffigan on the line. Jim, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So we have last... So you actually were our first episode. You came and joined us in studio last summer. You kicked off season four for us, which gradually just became, you know, by because of what was happening in the world all around us, just probably our strangest season ever. And all we've been talking about for the last four months is... What's happening with comedy? When is comedy coming back? What are people are doing? And you have this brand new special, Jim Gaffigan, The Pale Tourist, that you're releasing now. And I was curious, before we get into all that stuff, last time you were talking about quality time, how much of a different animal is this new special? Oh, this is, uh, it, this is very much a, um, a strange, I guess almost a concept album or a concept special. So the Amazon special is two parts, but it's, uh, it's really kind of uh, pick a geographic area and I'm going to do a special on it. So did Canada, did Spain, um, I did uh, Asia and I did Florida. Asia and Florida are not super high quality visual production, so they're not part of the Amazon special. They're just on my YouTube. Um, but yeah, so it's a different animal in that it's a very, uh, you know, it's a, not a narrow audience, but it's a very specific audience that this special was targeted towards, you know, what? obviously performing in Canada, you know, the Canadians um, would hopefully appreciate all the material. But like in Spain, it was like, all right, uh, you know, I'm this American who's going to do a special all about Spain, but I'm going to do it in English because I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> yeah, and just have sort of your own take on it. Like, what, what, what was the drive behind that? Why did you sit down and go? And I mean, last time you joined us, you talked, of course, about, you know, you like coming and playing here in Canada, and you got into sort of your outside views on, on typical Canadian things. But what ended up being the drive behind, okay, I'm going to do Canada, and I'm going to do specifically Barcelona, Spain. It really started after I shot Quality Time. Um, I had uh, a tour in Asia where my family was coming with me, where I was doing shows before my family showed up, and then I was doing shows after my family returned home. And so over the span of, I don't know, three weeks, I did 10 shows. And I had acquired or built up about 25 minutes of material about Asia. 
And so I turned to the tour guy at the time or the promoter and I was like, Hey, I wouldn't mind recording this, you know, it's, and so we just filmed it and we did the audio. And so I got done with that. And, um, I was like, you know, I'd like to do this, what I did in Asia in other parts of the world, you know? And so I had always had a couple of jokes about Canada. Uh, and I had always um, wanted to do, like when I performed in Spain, I probably spent six, a total of six days in Spain, but I ended up having a bunch of bits about it. So I, I decided on Canada and Spain and I was going to do Mexico, but of course the, the pandemic hit. Yeah. Well, and that's, it's almost in a way, I guess it's sort of a writing exercise for you because I mean, one of the things about you, Jim, is... You, I mean, you do perform all over the world, of course, but your a lot of the stuff you tackle uh, is very relatable. It's very universal. It just happens to be in your very specific persona. There's a very specific Jim Gaffigan voice. There's nobody else who does what you do. But you can you can do the states. You can go to the UK. You can go all over the world because you're talking about family and being a dad and food that you like. So in this, I mean, you're actually specifically honing in on exactly where you are at that place in that time. Yeah. It's, a, it's like the, I normally embrace universal topics, but here I'm kind of like, I'm going to pick, uh, I'm going to do a show for Spaniards that speak English enough. You know, it's a weird thing. Which is, I mean, for fans of yours and for people who did watch Quality Time, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a different take now. And I mean, for you with all of this craziness going on, obviously touring went on pause and festivals went on pause and clubs are sort of slowly starting to reopen in certain places. But it was sort of this, it was a forced career hiatus for everybody. Last time we talked to you, you weren't just talking about the last special. You were also, at the time, you had taken a lot more acting roles on. You were doing a lot more appearances and series and you were doing some independent films you were doing a ton of acting work obviously all of that stuff went on pause too how much of a opportunity has all of this been to sort of step back and and sort of re-evaluate things and sort of where you want to take your career next as things sort of start to trickle back again it's uh it's it's been in some ways a a really nice forced hiatus I mean, I think anyone would tell you it's gone on too long, but uh, <laughs> yeah. it's it's been this time of reflection on, you know, career stuff, family stuff. You know, it's, you know, we're all under, you know, an enormous amount of stress. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate the fact that I've been kind of thrust into, um, uh, you know, a period of reevaluating things. You know, like I did some of these drive-in shows, but I'm kind of like, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, you know, a nomadic guy and like a, a, a workhorse. But, you know, with the pandemic, I'm, do I get on a plane? I don't know if I do, because it's not just me and I'm not 20 anymore. Yeah. So it's it's been this time of real kind of reevaluation. Hi, this is Lewis Black, and you're listening to Inside Jokes, which is why it's funny, you idiot. <laughs> I saw Drake in concert a couple months ago. I bet you wouldn't even think I would be friends with Drake, but guess what? I'm not. <laughs> but I did see Drake in concert. 
I, was, I had two shows in Las Vegas in the same night, and after the second show, the promoter came up to me and he goes, hey, Jim, Drake is doing a special show here in a nightclub in the casino. Would you like to go and feel uncomfortable? What was your... It's interesting that you did some of those driving shows. I was curious about that because, I mean, obviously... You are someone who, yeah, you are constantly sort of globe trotting, and you know you're you're selling out theaters, and you're you're on stage all over the place. And I'm sure you do have specific clubs back home that you prefer to go to and work out new stuff. But now seeing all of these weird pop up shows, I mean, we've talked to comics all over the states and all over Canada who have really been forced into you know platforms that they normally would not have gone near, but they're doing it out of necessity. What was your experience like doing some of these weird formats that sort of came out of all of this yeah you know i shied away completely from the zoom yeah. shows and, and by the way i'm sure someone's going to perfect them but i you know mainly i you know there was a lot of factors i just think that like stand-up should be in person right or you yeah. should be watching a special but anyone who's been to a stand-up show and seen a performer and then watched the special, one of your initial thoughts is like, it was better live, you know? So um, that's the initial thing. Um, the drive-in shows are the best alternative, but they're still far from perfect. They're, they're still a weird, um alternative now the you know for the audience and for feedback from an audience for a comedian it's it's very limited but you know compared to the option of doing nothing they're not that bad well and that that's the thing i mean because there's certain mics that you'll hit specifically just for the fact of okay i have this new chunk of material i literally just have to go and say it somewhere in front of people it's not even about the quality of the space or this or the set itself it's just i literally have to go and break this in somewhere but even with this i mean you're not you know having emojis pop up on the bottom of your screen and comments in real time is not the same as having that live reaction from a crowd and feeding off of that call and response Absolutely. And, you know, I do, you know, occasionally I'll do an Instagram live and, you know, I, I have horrible eyesight, you know, so it's like, <laughs> I don't want to deal with reading things. And there's a lot of a nonverbal communication that happens in a live situation, which is probably too hard for us to understand or articulate. Well, and I think comedy is such an interesting thing too, because it's, it's so affected and changed by all of this in multiple ways because it's based off of live performance. So it's based off of crowds. It's so tied in with, you know, the bar and the restaurant industry. You have to be live in front of people, but also at the same time, we're living in a moment right now where all of this crazy stuff is happening to the entire world all at once. And that's the job of the comedian is to take big events in life like that and comment on them and sort of pull them apart. So it's this weird space right now where comics should be out there talking about all these things happening in the world and also can't. Yeah, I mean, that's where I also feel very grateful that I have this outlet of these CBS Sunday morning commentaries where I'm given an opportunity to do this, you know, pandemic update where I just, for two minutes, have some, you know, you know, 
cobbled together essay about a topic for the week. A lot of that, I mean, that's that's one of the things about your comedy that I think, especially with this new special, is probably so needed right now is the fact that you've never been, you, you know, there's nothing about your comedy that's ever been polarizing in any way. You're, you're, you're pure comedy. It's, it's laughter. It's escapism. It's, it's entertainment. It's, it's fun to sort of step away from all this heaviness and just forget about it for an hour and a half, which is exactly what you give people in a special or in a live show. But we've talked to a lot of comics lately who are sort of taking a look at everything going on and going, I don't know, maybe I should find a way to talk about this, but nothing about you has ever, I mean, aside from, yeah, you're doing these updates, you're doing the CBS mornings, but on stage in your comedy, you're not a political guy. You aren't a confrontational (laughs) edgy comic. You aren't tackling these things that are sometimes difficult for people to listen to. Has any of this made you sort of step back and go, maybe I want to touch on some of this stuff when I come back out again. Gosh, I, I'm a big believer of that. And so uh, some of this is the result of being in the States and uh, watching America digest Trump and Trump news. Yeah. There comes a point where people want a break from certain things. So uh, I keep going back to, um, the idea that when this is done and over, there will be such a craving for normalcy or normal topics that, um, you know, people, it's kind of like when people, you know, when it's hot outside and you have that person that keeps complaining about the heat. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it's kind of tired. So, I, my gut would be that once this is over, that, you know, there's, there, I'm sure there'll be a comedian or two that really captures the quarantine or the pandemic experience. But I also think that people are going to be like anything but that. I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, when all of this first started happening and because it was so much more, you know, just what would happen to live comedy, what would happen to the whole industry during this was such more so much more of a question mark at first that people were more concerned that oh man audiences are never going to come back after this they're going to be so scared to gather in crowds they're going to be you know staying huddled inside i think even from the 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 small amount of clubs that have started to reopen and the shows that are sort of slowly coming back and the comics we've talked to that are getting back on stage we're definitely seeing exactly what you described we're seeing the opposite of what we thought where people are People have been stuck at home for four months and they're getting all of their news from Twitter and Facebook 24 hours a day. And it's all Trump and the apocalypse and the world is falling apart. I think people really do want to just sort of have this springtime moment where they come out of all this and just go, I just want to go and watch a show and laugh again and just, yeah, go back to what life was like before. Absolutely. This is Chris Rodock Robson, and you're listening to Inside Jokes on 640. Florida's amazing. It's interesting how much more respect Florida gets in December. Right? During the year, everyone's like, crazy Florida, Florida. And then at the beginning of December, the whole country's like, hey, Florida, how you doing? Coming, coming back from all this, I mean, you know, you're a big part of your regular 
sort of routine is also doing the late night circuit. You appear on the late shows all the time. That's part of yeah. your work as a comic. Sometimes you're there plugging stuff that you've acted in. Even late night changed, obviously, during all this. People are hosting the shows from their living room and on, on Zoom chats and all that sort of stuff. How long do you think it's going to take for that stuff to sort of come back around to what it was before? I mean, getting up there and hosting a TV show in front of a live audience. I think the, I think the, the late night shows are going to change the most. I think that the live spontaneity of stand-up is... Uh, That'll return to normal, but I think the late night talk shows, which were kind of struggling in this day of podcasts and stuff like that, I think they're, you know, it's, there's going to be something of a, you know, the weird thing about those late night chat shows is, it's the format is not that undifferent from you just Skyping a friend or doing a zoom with a friend. So what makes them special? Uh, you know, obviously these people that work in them are very talented, but it's the threshold for the price of entry is going to drop dramatically. I think. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, you, you, you're totally right because the, even just the the existence of sort of network TV and everybody in the country tuning into this one thing at the same time really is sort of a dying animal to begin with because yeah, everybody's, everything's online, everything's digital content, everything is social media, everything is podcasts. So it's really sold of sort of a, an old art form in a way, a hangover from a different age. And it, it'll be interesting to see if that actually does come back after all this, or if it's going to look the same at all. I mean, we don't have, there's not really a version of like, you know, when you were starting out in stand-up, like, like a Carson's couch where you go into a certain late show and you know that you're well on your way if you, if you get to go appear on that. That doesn't really exist so, mu so much anymore. I mean, there's certain shows that obviously as a comic, it's you want to get out there to that larger audience and promote things and go do that show or maybe you're friends with the host or whatever. But I, do, I think those sort of platforms of, okay, I've made it now, that stuff doesn't really exist in one place anymore. No, no, it's so, uh, you know, everything has become so fragmented. And there's, there is, uh, as this, uh, you know, the stand-up world is so increasingly fragmented and there, it's, you know, it's, it's weird because there's certain aspects of an audience liking a show that you see in YouTube, you know, like there's YouTube YouTubers that have enormous followings. Yeah. We've never heard of. It's, it's true. And I mean, even, you know, here in Canada, just for laughs, we've seen festivals are starting to sort of clue into this and, and you're seeing YouTubers with these mass followings that are getting booked to do gala shows at comedy festivals because they know that they have, you know, a million point two subscribers. Right. It's such a totally different thing. I mean, for you, even obviously COVID is going to change things again completely, but even before all of this hit, I mean, for you going from starting out to where you are now and getting this name and getting to tour all over the world and, and, and becoming Jim Gaffigan, how much has the comedy world changed for you since those, you know, those early days of starting out? Oh, it's changed so dramatically. You know, you have to consider when I started stand up, there was no, 
there was no YouTube, there was no satellite radio, there was HBO, there was this small channel, Comedy Central in the States that really didn't know what it was doing. But, uh, you know, obviously no Netflix or Amazon Prime. So there was, I think the most dramatic difference is the audience education of what stand-up is. And as a result, stand-up shifted into a much more uh, white-collar or upper-middle-class kind of job than it was. It used to be more rough-and-tumble and kind of combat. Like, people, yeah. they didn't know if... They knew Rodney Dangerfield and they knew Andrew Dice Clay, but they, they didn't know that Stephen Wright was pretty weird back then. Now Stephen Wright would be relatively uh, standard today. Yeah. Yeah. And there was this sort of, there was this, this punk rock element to it. I mean, this was, these are people who get up on stage every night and say things that nobody else dares to say. And they make you think about things in a totally different way. And it was sort of, yeah, I mean, American stand-up back then is kind of like what Canadian entertainment is now, where it's a handful of people going after a very small pool of things. And now it's just sort of exploded and it's on every medium. I mean, even before before COVID hit, I mean, we were sort of in this, a little bit of, of another sort of boom in stand-up comedy where because of podcasting and because of Netflix stand-up became cool again. It became a thing to go and watch live again. I wonder if that's going to come back around as audiences sort of creep back out again. I, I have to think that, you know, stand-up, unlike a band or a theatrical performance, is so portable and easy and flexible and spontaneous that... It, it, you know, it's something that, you know, it'll waver in between le levels of popularity, but I can't imagine, um, it's just too easy. And, you know, comedians are pretty resourceful. So if someone sees a room, you know, we're talking post-pandemic, and, you know, they're going to put on a show, you know, and if they yeah. put on a show, there's going to be someone that pops in the show. I think so too. And I think after all of this and, and after sort of being stuck in just this shared, almost like incubation as a society, people yeah. will be craving that again and people will want to go back out there again. Before all of this, I mean, last time we talked to you when you came, when you came around to talk about quality time, you were talking about sort of those early days hitting mics and, and, you know, finding your voice and all that. And one of the comics that really sort of supported you and prompted you early on was Dave Attell. That was sort of an early fan of yours who went, okay, this guy has something. Who are, who are some people that are like that for you maybe that you've seen coming up that you think, oh, I really hope more people get to know who they are. I, I hope more people get to see them. Gosh, well, I would say um, Nate Bargazzi is pretty amazing. Mulaney is uh, uh, pretty special. But, you know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of funny people that um, might not break through. Like, I do think that Nate and John Mulaney, obviously Mulaney's huge. It depends, you know, so are people going to um, get to a certain level? I don't know. Like, I have real funny friends that, you know, either they're not interested in some of what needs to be done or... 
you know, they don't have their stuff together. You know what I mean? People need to have their together. Yeah, yeah. Yo, this is White Wine. And young Riesling. You're tuned in to AM640 Inside Jokes, jokes. baby. Ha! Last time I was in Spain, I had my family with me. And one of the advantages of traveling with five children is it's very similar to shoveling cash into a furnace. But it was Euro, so the flames were pretty colors. For you during all this, I mean, yeah, you mentioned early on, it's kind of, in a way, it's sort of, you know, you had a, a very busy couple of years and now you've, you're putting out this special. So it was sort of this forced break where you just get to have family time and sort of reflect on what's gone on and where you where you want to go next. Do you like where do you what's the next what's the next big move for you do you think what's something you haven't tackled I mean coming off of a couple of years where you went very heavily on the acting side you picked up a lot of roles you know you're spinning a lot of plates at once you're touring you're filming this special what's something that you get to sit back and go there's still something I haven't done yet that's still sort of on my list I mean I think there's always a lot of things and you know comedians coming up with new material is there's nothing more rewarding than that. So I would say that a level of complacency will not set in if you have new material. That's true. And I mean, the sort of the catch 22 about all of this is, you know, comics generally can't write unless they're out there experiencing certain things and they can't really have that process happening unless they're getting out there on stage and sort of honing this stuff and taking out all the rough bits and things like that. For you though, so much of what you do comes from your home life, comes from being a dad, comes from, comes from your family. Was this a writing time for you at all? Was this an opportunity to sort of sit back and, and come up with some new stuff that you've been working around? Cause there's going to be a lot of comics that really won't know where to go next after this. Cause they're going to, you know, you don't, you don't want 20 different versions of waiting in line to go to the grocery store and that kind of a thing. Was this sort of a good writing period for you? You know, yes and no. I mean, I use these CBS Sunday commentaries as a weekly assignment and that's where I'm getting out what I would consider topical jokes surrounding the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and similar to, to Trump, it's like, you know, three weeks later, uh, is it still relevant, some of the jokes? You know, because it is moving and, and the, the, you know, how we digest this pandemic ha is shifting. You know, yeah. obviously the, the, you know, Canadians have flattened the curve for now and um, the Americans are struggling. So that's, a different situation. I think getting some distance from a crisis might make it again funny, but when you're still struggling or people are still dealing with consequences of the pandemic, uh, I don't know if you want to, you know, make too much light of it. And also I would say there's economic consequences, you know? Well, and I mean, some of it, like there's some of it that is, some of the stuff that's happening is is sometimes so absurd and so cartoonishly insane. I mean, the whole Goya beans thing—it was that's one thing yeah. where like I can't believe this is actually real. But then some of it is so it, it it's so darkly unfathomable that yeah, it's really hard to go. I don't know where to to find the comedy in this. I mean, for us as Canadians, 
you know, as your neighbors, as outside observers, I mean, we obviously have a lot of friends in comedy that live in New York now, live in LA, live in Chicago. So we talk to those people all the time, but generally as outside observers, we're sort of looking at what's going on there and going, oh my God, like everything's on fire. What is happening? So, I mean, for you as a comic and having this platform, but also being in the middle of this and, and that's where you live, that's home for you. Yeah. What, what's it like for you? I mean, there's the comedian perspective. Then there's also the perspective of, I am just a person who lives in this country and this is where my family is. Yeah, I mean, it is. And by the way, to add even more elements to what you're saying, there is a portion of the American population that is, let's say one fourth, like I did this tweet where I, you know, I'm growing a garden and I did a tweet where it was a picture of me holding, uh, my kids holding zucchinis. And I said, please wear a mask. Um, I started to grow vegetables and they're starting to taste fine. And, you know, it's just a joke about how long this pandemic's going on. Yeah. Well, there was, there was a couple direct messages like, don't tell me to wear a mask. Now (laughs) you can sit there and go, is that a lot of people? Probably not, but that shows you the, level of crazy or um, emotional crisis we're dealing with in the States. You know what I mean? It's, are those people going to come around to mass? I think so. But like, do they, you know, do I do material about how people that don't wear masks are selfish? You know, I, I, I guess I could, but I don't know how productive it would be. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and also, is it their fault if they don't get it? You're listening to Inside Jokes on 640. I'm at the sock, and I don't know why I just did this. I remember the first time I came to Canada. You know, in America, when there's horrible weather, we cancel events. You guys kind of plan around them. Hey, you know how it's the coldest month of the year? What if we had a party outside? But it seems in American culture there's just there's this this sort of stubbornness this the of freedom where certain people just will go you can't tell me to do that yeah it's i think it's stubbornness but also a a suspicion yeah yeah and and the suspicion is such that it's baffling it's befuddling it's 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 exacerbate you know it's exhausting but it's also you know it's it's weird, you know, it's like I, you know, I used to really kind of pride myself on having people of different, I like having friends with different opinions, but yeah. like there's certain things where I'm, you know, I kind of am, I'm a fan of facts, you know what I mean? I'm a, I'm a believer in science, you know, and... <laughs> And another reason not to discuss it is I don't think you're going to change anyone's mind. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, we have, you know, even here in Ontario, for example, our, our, our premier of Ontario, Doug Ford, everybody in the States remembers his brother. I'm sure that was our, the rest in peace, but the crack mayor, but uh, even Doug Ford is sort of, we, we obviously, we really don't have a Canadian Trump, but he was sort of our, here's our right wing, uh, controversial 
politician that we have. But even during COVID, even he was like, nope, I'm just going to do exactly what the health officials say and let's all mandate this and that's it. There was really... There was really no pushback on it. In the States, it's fascinating because you, you, you always seem to have these same sort of dividing lines on pretty much every major issue. But it definitely doesn't help when the president himself loves kicking the hornet's nest. Like he just seems to just thrive on that. For him, it's just like another talking point. He loves stirring that, that up. It's, it's a great distraction. It's, and it's, it's just he knows that it, you know, I, I mean, you know, we deal with, you know, Kanye West kind of having his <laughs> meltdowns and all that. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, it's, you know, Trump and Kanye, they're all the same. You know, like, it's like, you know, is Kanye a musical genius? Yeah. But, you know, I, you know, I'm, there's part of me that's like, why are we even covering him? And then there's, I'll see on Twitter where people will be, they'll be upset at Kanye like he's not this mentally ill person. He obviously is mentally ill. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, but like, I think that they're, you know, viewing him, they're much more caught up in the respect they have for Kanye. Whereas I don't disrespect him or I, it's not that I don't respect him. I just don't think that he should be in the discourse. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like people are capitalizing on that in a way. Like they know that there's this underlying thing going on with him and he's talked about it. He's talked about it in interviews. He's, you know, he's done albums about it at this point, but it, people almost make that it's like, instead of looking at it for what it is, it's almost just like part of the show. They're like, oh, that's Kanye. That's what a character. But even though they know what the actual underlying cause is. Yeah. I think, I think it's fascinating how humans really have no memory. You know, it's like, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, when he was in his pro-Trump days and, yeah. and then he kind of was like, hey, you know, I was off my meds and, you know, I was, and we're kind of like, well, just get safe. And then he's like, I'm running for president. And no one was like, hey, remember you were off your meds and you were crazy? Like, we just forget. Yeah. It's true. And I mean, we've almost reached this point in society, definitely in American society, where fame just completely sort of overrides everything else. Like, it, it like there's nothing it, it seems like there's nothing too absurd anymore everything is just yeah that's fine like fame has completely eroded <laughs> any sort of rationality or logic in a lot of these scenarios i mean we have like people always people still make that comparison between trump and reagan going well reagan was an actor first yeah, yeah. true he was an old you know hollywood studio actor in the in the 40s and 50s but then he was also a governor. Like, there was, agree with him or not, at least he was reasonably presidential. Occasionally I'll see on my Twitter and Instagram thing, you know, it's like, it's so, you know, I like Jim Gaffigan. I'm so sorry he is, I'm so sad he's a snowflake. And it's like, I come from like a tiny town. I'm somebody who has five kids. I go to church, you know, I mean, I don't think I'm 
a snowflake. But like these people that it's, they're, they're, they just have such a blind spot. It's such a, you know, it's probably the same blind spot that made people justify slavery or, or kind of, uh, you know, doing horrible things to Native Americans. You know, it's just, human beings are just weird. And so these people that are on the Trump train, they're not horrible people. They're just, you know, they're just, they're rooting for that team. They're rooting for the Maple Leafs, whether they get to the Stanley Cup or not. Yeah, yeah, it's this sort of group thing that's, that's going on. And it's, I mean, it's, it's strange to see how large those numbers are. I mean, people forget, too, just, I, I think this also has a lot to do with what's happening with COVID as well. I mean, America's a huge country. America's a huge place. There's a lot of people there. So that means there's a lot of people who don't believe in wearing masks. There's a lot of people who go along with this Trump stuff just because you can have that be a massive part of the population. And there's still, you know, can be 200 million other people who disagree with that. For you, I mean, what's, so when, you know, you have this special coming out now, you, you know, we are seeing hopefully live comedy come back slowly but surely it is definitely there's stuff reopening again and people are figuring out ways to get back on stage and i mean for you what's the next what would be the next big thing that you just want to get back out there and do like right away because obviously everything you you know there's no productions going on you weren't doing acting roles you're doing this you're still doing the show on cbs but other than that what's the first big thing that you want to go out and go oh man i can't wait to do this again i think the thing that i struggle with is that i'm so nomadic and I, I'm somebody who likes to be the first, you know, like I like to be the first person that was on Amazon with a comedy special. I like to be one of the first people to do this or that, that I have to keep reminding myself that when it comes to the pandemic, I shouldn't be first. Meaning I, I don't need to be the first person that's back on tour. I don't need to be the first person that takes unnecessary risk. You know, it's obviously this balance of risk and reward, but like the risk is so enormous. Like we all talk about, you know, and I realize in Canada, you guys have flattened the curve or whatever, but we all know that like come October, November, it's going to get bad again. Right. So It's, there is part of me that's like, I just don't want to be sloppy. I just don't want to be like, you know, there's a difference between like the insane people who attend a COVID party and then, or refuse to wear a mask. But there's other people that are like, I just wanted to have this play date with my kids' parents. You know what I mean? Uh, You know, or, or I just wanted to go out to dinner. I'm just trying to not fall into that kind of sloppiness which i think you know human beings have a tendency to hey this is rodrigo fernandez stole star of the north by northeast music festival and you're listening to inside jokes on global news radio 640 toronto now back to inside jokes on global news radio 640 toronto Down to florida we welcome you to the Sunshine State. 
you know, you're traveling all over the place touring, you're you're acting, you're filming things, you're hosting the CBS thing. So it's interesting, like maybe this gave you a chance to sort of step back and go, okay, maybe I don't need to rush into this stuff headlong all the time or maybe put so much on my plate. Because I think the interesting thing about you is you genuinely seem like someone who even though you've reached this level and you have this name and you've been able to do this so far, you very much seem to treat it like a job. Like you are kind of a regular guy with five kids. And like you said, you come from a small town and you go to church. Like you, you definitely seem to treat it like a trade, even though it's, it's a, it's a very exciting and interesting job. Not a lot of people get to do what you do for a living, let alone reach this level. But you very much have that sort of honesty to it where you go, this is my job. This is just what I do. Yeah, and, and, and I really do enjoy it. I don't, um, you know, I realized a long time ago that I was never going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, uh, you know, magazine. And so I, you know, like the, the fame or the notoriety is something that um, it's, it was removed a long time ago. So I... And, you know, I don't want to be too naive because I'm sure there's ego involved, but it is about seeking creative fulfillment. And that being said, is there a, a struggle with balance? Obviously, but it is like I'm seeking creative fulfillment. I'm not, you know, uh, like no one's coming to see me do, no one's coming to see my show to see what outfit I'm wearing or to hear yeah. about me hanging out with some celebrity. They're, you know, if anything, it's, it's the opposite of that. They're like, you know what, we don't, we're going to see Gaff again. We don't have to worry. You know what I mean? We're not gonna, he's not gonna make us feel insecure. He's not gonna make us feel less than. It's just substance. Yeah, which is, which is totally true. And I think it's not, an, it's not an easy life. I mean, you're constantly touring and you're constantly sort of taking on the next thing and it's, it's sort of, it's a job that encompasses an entire lifestyle, but I think having that healthy approach to it and being able to balance that versus family and, you know, not getting lost in the whole ego of it or not getting lost in the whole lifestyle of it, I think helps at the end of the day. I think you, you have that approach to it that not a lot of people have. I think, and I think it comes across. I think you're exactly right. People who come out and see your shows, they know the fact that if they were to run into you or somewhere, if they happen to meet you, they would go, okay, this is just a regular person that I can relate to in some way. You don't get sucked up into all of the, there's all that, you know, it's in some ways it's a cliche, but a lot of people look at standup and there's all, it's all sort of seems to thrive entirely on some balance of tragedy and ego. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to be completely naive here. You know, it's like, I can get sucked in. I'm, you know, but it, you know, it is a, you know, I've been doing it long enough and I, you know, I'm grateful that I have gotten Grammy nominations, but I have no expectation of ever winning. Do you know what I mean? And that's fine. You know what I mean? I get to do what I like, but, uh, you know, it's, you know, there's, it's, you know, there's a certain peace in that. Yeah, you get to do what you love and it's fulfilling as far as what you want to put out there into the world. And then ever and then if you get that recognition, great, but you've all you've been able to sort of carve out your own audience and your own brand and be in that arena and you sort of 
you just get to do what you love. And I think you have to love it as much at this point now coming as far as you have and being at this level and being, you know, this recognized name in comedy just as much as you did when you did those first couple of nervous sets, you know, you have to have that same love of it now in order to maintain this. Absolutely. And I think, you know, having my wife go through, uh, you know, having a brain tumor and with the possibility of it, you know, this career or this creative outlet being stripped away makes me appreciate even more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jim Gaffigan, thank you so much. Before we let you go, uh, just a recap. So, of course, Jim Gaffigan, The Pale Tourist. Where can people see this? And a little, uh, a little recap of what this sort of special is all about here. Well, they can see it. Uh, uh, Pale Tourist is on Amazon Prime, uh, which I believe, even if you're not a, you know, on Prime, you can get a free membership for a month. And there's two specials, Canadian-American and Spanish-American. And there's an album version, which is available everywhere, uh, streaming also. And that includes four specials. That also includes Asian-American and also Florida Man, because Florida is... Yeah, Florida is its own hour indeed, in general. I mean, that's one thing as a Canadian watching all of this stuff. It always seems to be... Generally, it always seems to be Florida. I don't know why. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, it's also, it's where we all, and I kind of talk about it. It's, if Florida is like, it's an easy target, but come December, we're all kind of fans of Florida. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people, you know, we, it's all those sort of like clickbait stories. You always go, oh yeah, Florida. But then it's also the same place that has Miami and the Keys. So, I mean, yeah, everybody Everybody definitely does buy into it just as much as, uh, as much as they mock it. But Jim, thank you so much. We appreciate you joining us again. Uh, everybody check out these specials, check out the Pale Tourist. And of course you can listen to the album version as well. Jim, we just hope, I mean, I'm glad you get that downtime with your family and that you're just, you know, staying safe and healthy and all that. But we also, we look forward to seeing you back out there live doing, doing what you do. Hopefully this sort of comes back around sooner rather than later. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Jim. We'll talk to you soon. Stay safe, and we can't wait to see you live again. Okay, thanks. Hi, this is Alicia Carusi, and you're listening to my aunt, Sandra Carusi's Comedy Rx. This week featuring Jim Gaffigan. Became a father for the fourth time. Never as much applause on that part. Really no applause, right? Because after the third kid, people stop congratulating you. Then they just treat you like you're Amish. Four, well, that's one way to live your life. Can you build us one of those wood fireplaces? Four kids. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. The good news is we live in a two-bedroom apartment, so I bought it through. I haven't slept in seven years. The preceding program is a specialty program. Unless otherwise identified, the participants on the program are not employees of Chorus Entertainment. Opinions expressed may not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.